0: For those of you that know me, you know that I read a ton and we do a lot of book reports um, after our books. So after not reading for, I don't know, like nine years after law school, um, I'm hopefully on pace to do 24 books this year. There's one book that I started that I cannot finish, Built to Last by Jim Collins. It is just way too dense for me to get through it. It is a scholarly, well-researched study over 200-something pages. I highly suggest, if you can get through it, awesome. If not, just take the 20-minute um, breakdown of it because it's super important. The mm-hmm. biggest thing that he talks about in there, though, is these really successful businesses, the ones that are built to last, are run not by time tellers, but by clock makers. And what he means by that is these companies that truly created a culture in which it teaches other people to be able to tell the time, you know, to make the clock, how to do it, so that they have these leaders that will outlast the person who started the company or as they go through changes. That thing has sat with me so much as I think about my exit strategy in, you know, 20 years or so, but still, um, and that's why I'm super excited to talk to Amy Gardner today. So our topic today is do as I do the secret to creating great leaders at your firm, especially you, but not just you. For those of you that don't know Amy, she's a certified career and career transitions coach and team development and leadership consultant with Apochromatic. She works with law firms and other employers to re-engage teams. And help them, I cannot read from this distance, I'm sorry guys, help them thrive by improving relationships, strengthening emotional intelligence, building leadership skills, developing resilience, having difficult conversations, and more. She also worked with lawyers one-on-one and in small groups, small group focus in focus attorney masterminds to advance their roles or transition to a new one. She regularly delivers trainings on subjects including time and stress management, goal achievement, emotional intelligence, and career topics. She is a former big law associate, partner at a mid-sized Chicago firm and Dean of Students at the University of Chicago Law School. She holds a master's degree from Northwestern University, JD from the University of Chicago and BA from Luther College. She holds certifications in team and leadership coaching, one-on-one coaching and assessment certifications, including the EQI uh, 2.0. I don't know if I pronounced that correct, Amy. I'm sorry. Yep. Here's All right, cool. Her career and goal achievement advice has been featured in media, including numerous podcasts, ABA publications, Bustle, Corporate, Glassdoor, Health, Monster, NBC, and Women's Running Magazine. Amy's service, the legal profession, includes serving on the Illinois Committee on, I think, character and fitness? Charter and fitness is what it says, but I think character and fitness. Yes. No, and fitness. All right. <laughs> and I will's governance committee. Amy, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk with you.
0: I am excited to learn from you and those that's how I know it's the best episode. If I'm geared up to learn a ton from our guest speaker, I know it's going to be great. Um, That being said, our last episode, another great example of that Marco Brown. So for those that don't know, Marco runs a very large family law firm in Utah. He talked to us about how to stop being a lawyer and start being a leader. So Marco and I went really in depth in his story, some of the mistakes he made from, from growing and really some helpful tips and tricks on how to make that transition From the lawyer of a firm to actually being the leader of a true business that doesn't need you. So great episode to listen to after we hear the wonderful insight from Amy. So that being said, Amy, awesome bio. Um, Can you tell us a little bit? I want to hear a little bit of that story, though, like that transition from big law to what you're doing now. What caused that?
1: So I was at SCAD in Chicago as a litigator for a long time, five and a half or six, just sort of six years basically. Um, And I actually genuinely enjoyed the work I was doing there. I was getting great opportunities. Um, but i looking down the road. I knew that I didn't really want to be a partner at Skadden, and I know that I'm not the kind of person who would be thrilled with not being a partner. Um, and so I decided to um, transition to a mid-sized firm where I thought that I would be happier as a partner. Um, and I got some great opportunities there. I went from uh, you know preparing other people for depths to taking a ton of depths and second sharing a big jury trial and doing all those things. And then it's sort of one of those deals where you're grabbing the gold stars, and then you're thinking, like, what am I supposed to do with these things? <laughs> now what? And um, at the same time, I at that point, I got um, a fellowship with the German Marshall Fund where I went to Europe for four weeks, and that allowed me to get out of the everyday grind and think about what I really wanted. And coincidentally, my law school had a new dean. I came back from the fellowship, met him at an event a week later, and um, ended up uh, leaving practicing to becoming to go back to my law
0: school to be the dean of students. Um, and you know what's uh, maybe funny is the wrong word. I will tell you of all of my law school professors, the one who was the most, I want to say impactful on me, like the one who really pushed me to be the best law student I could was also a former Scat Arms. Uh, I don't wow. know, associate or something like that. So I don't know, maybe there's something Maybe there's something there about being at such a large prestigious firm that really um, yeah. burns into people that wanting to give back teaching mentality because uh, it's great.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, there's a big pro bono focus at Scadden too. Um, and one of the partners in Skadden Chicago would always say that um, his job was to teach us how to walk through walls for our clients, but we had to come to wanting to walk through walls for our clients. And so I do think that um, you know Skadden is one of those firms that attracts people who really want to do big things.
0: That, that the way that you phrase that is, so he twisted it slightly differently. So I went to a terrible law school. Uh, let me rephrase. I went to a low tiered law school um, and he was- It all worked out though. Look, you know, I'm going to, uh, totally, absolutely. And literally I've only had one client ever care and it was because they also went to the same school that I went to, not for law school. And then we were talking about it. I've never had it negatively impact me in any way, shape or form um yada 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 but the professor like specifically said that to us like not the not the you are at a low-tier law school but it's like look i he went to michigan uh shout out mark edelman we'll tag him whatever and he was like look i'm gonna treat you like you're at michigan you guys are capable of it and that same mentality of like you have to be ready to run through the walls you have to be ready you have to be treated the way you the same way you would at whatever it was like this the fifth or sixth best law school in the country um when he was there it like caused us to rise up to the expectations so i love that All right. That, that being said, we're talking about leadership here. And so I'm curious, like, where did the change become from being a lawyer to really focusing on building these leaders? What, talk to me about that process.
1: So when I got back to the University of Chicago Law School, so I had graduated, you know, eight or nine years earlier, and I get back and I discovered that, and I had really looked up to my dean of students; she was been a huge impact on me, wonderful person. Um, but I was surprised to learn that there had not been changes in the way that students were being prepared to practice law. Remember, I graduated from law school, you know, a few months after September 11th, and I was going back in 2010. Right? Though, if you think about 2002 to 2010, a lot had changed right? Oh, yeah. It didn't feel like 2008 to
0: 2010 was a huge change, let alone, let alone September 11th to 2008.
1: Right, right. And so it really felt as though um, there were lots of things that could be done to better prepare students to practice. I mean, when I, um, I did a jury trial when I was at Skadden. And I remember, um, when I first started there, I didn't know where the county of the daily center was in downtown Chicago, like, um, you know, a place that you need to go to court, I had no idea. Um, And so it wasn't so much about, I knew that students were being, you know, very well prepared in the classroom. It was much more about, you know, how do you deal with the paralegal? How do you, you know, figure out these things that, um, I think a lot of times we're hiring law students or new lawyers to practice law, but they're not gonna be successful unless they can, you know, figure out where the daily Center is. Right? unless they can figure out how to call up the client and ask for a document without letting the client tense uh, sense the panic in their voice you know they need to be able to communicate with people and so when i was the dean of students i started a number of leadership programs to really address what i saw as a gap between you know, what the way students were being prepared and the way that i knew students needed to show up on their first day as a lawyer and through that um, i was working with law firms to pay for these things and I kept hearing from law firms again and again, oh, I wish we had had that. Or you know, i call and say, hey, will you pay for a business etiquette class? And they'd say, oh, we should do that. And so I realized it wasn't so much that it wasn't just law schools that weren't preparing, some law schools that weren't preparing law students for these um, leadership things that they needed to know to do well. It's also some of the firms, there's a real opportunity there, I think, to, to enhance the way that we're teaching lawyers um, to show up and, and to lead. And so then that just sort of opened the door and I decided to get my um, coaching certification and a number of other certifications um, to help me to do that. And I went into business actually with my husband who has a management background and which has been fantastic because he can help lawyers with (laughs) some of the many, many, many management um, issues that come up too. So we work together with um, teams both in firms and outside.
0: You know, um, another, uh, that part's interesting too. Cause I know I give law school so much crap for like exactly the same thing that you were trying to bridge the gap for. It's interesting though. Like, so from my perspective, I got the opportunity to do a lot of trial team at, uh, at the law school that I went to. And so we'd have sitting judges and attorneys and, and alum come back and talk to us and train us. And we go to these, these tournaments and we'd always get those judges that are like, you all are better than, than real attorneys that I see every day. And I always thought like, that's so sweet. I really appreciate it. Like I'm honored that you would lie to us that way. And then I went out as a prosecutor and I was like, oh yeah, there are a lot of attorneys we were better than. And to be fair, that was because we had a caseload of one over four to six weeks with feedback from 20 people on how to do it and whatever. But it was so interesting to see that thing and realize exactly what you're talking about. Like there are so many attorneys that law school helps you think like a lawyer and it gives you the right to practice, but not the tools to be successful with it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when students, whenever students can be involved in things like legal clinics or um, moot court, things like that, it can be really helpful. Um, but I think too, we need to provide a safe space to make those mistakes and with some supervision so that there's a backstop, right? And I think some law schools are better at it than others. Um, and I think that law there's some of the burden is on law students to learn these things um, and go out and learn them. But I also think that Often law students don't know what they don't know. Um, and so the more law schools can help them and then the more employers can be prepared to fill in the gaps, the better off they'll be as lawyers.
0: It's interesting. So I, in law school, I got the opportunity to be a CLI at the state attorney's office, a so certified legal intern. And then I ended up back as a prosecutor. Um, and it's funny because the PD's office had the same thing, but our school was like, look, you don't necessarily want to do the, the PD program beforehand because you're actually representing a specific person. So there's a lot less freedom from the state attorney side. They were like, look, there's an attorney sitting with you. You've got support, but like, if you make a mistake, eh, so be it. Like, you know, like it's only, you're only going to deal with misdemeanors. Nothing's terribly serious. If you let somebody off because you screw up, it's a lot better than getting somebody convicted because you screwed up. And I was like, I love that my prosecutor's office is being that open and honest with us. But at the same time, you know, it gave us, it gave me the opportunity to do, you know, half a dozen trials as a law student and 20 something okay. motions and, Lose a ton of them and learn so much from it
1: yeah I, it's funny i um I worked one day a week in the state's attorney's office um, in the city of Chicago for part of my third year in law school and I had done the clinic and I had I was an editor on law review like I'd done a number of these things you're supposed to do, and um, it was really helpful to go in there and I was actually assigned a traffic court so you know you could do a trial at, at ten and then turn on have another one at two. Um, and I would often get the, the trials that prosecutors would say, like, either this is super easy, she can't blow it, or we're not going to win this thing no matter what, so let her go. Um, and it was great to have that hands-on experience, and I think more law students need it, and more lawyers need it. Even if you don't expect to be doing trials, I think that the way that you handle litigation is completely different once you've actually had a trial. I mean, I had um, this trial that I did at my second firm. They read one of my deposition transcripts into the record. And you better believe that it changed the way I take depositions. I just, when you actually see it happen in front of you and you realize, oh, I was starting every question with, okay, that's so helpful. Mm-hmm. You just, it just makes you a better lawyer. And so I think anything law students can do and lawyer, junior lawyers can do to get more hands on experience
0: is better. Or Amy, you could do it the way I did it. You just be really friendly to the court reporters and then they leave out all the filler words. Just, just that kidding. must
1: have been my mistake.
0: Um. All right. So. I, my question because obviously you're working with firms of varying sizes or with lawyers, one-on-one versus firms. Is there like a difference in the leadership process on that smaller firm individual basis versus the larger firm or group basis, or is it basically the same tips and tricks?
1: Um, I think that sometimes people in smaller firms come with a different skill set than people who are in a bigger firm um, just because of the things that have been emphasized. Um, But I think either way, you know, many of the firms we work with are, you know, six lawyer firms and then also we work with the big firms and we work with teams of in-house lawyers as well as working with teams that aren't lawyers. But one of the things that I notice is that um, at some firms we will do, say, a 12-month leadership development program focused on associates or partners at a certain level. Um, At smaller firms, it tends to be more focused on the team and, frankly, I think leadership development is obviously really important for lawyers. That's why you've devoted multiple episodes to talking about it, right? But I think another piece of it that's really important is the team development. And by team, that might be that your firm is a team. If it's a small firm, it might be that you have a, team, a firm that everybody's a team, but maybe there's a uh, trademark team within it and there's a patent team within it. Right. And what we see is that with the small firms, often um, there's more of an openness to including everybody as part of the team, which I think gets you better results. So it's one thing for us to work with partners, say, on how to give work or give feedback. But if we can also work with the whole team on overall goals or building trust, uh, working on communication skills, then obviously that's just going to amplify the results of working with um, people on individual leadership skills.
0: I, I love that. I love that getting the truly getting the entire team, like the team with together being more helpful um, gives me a lot of hope because that's how I do most of my stuff. I'm like, look, you all can have your own department meetings, but like there are certain things that we need to be working together to uh, un-silo, I think is uh, Greg's lingo on it. All right. So then here's my I, I want to flip that a little bit. Look, there are going to be the law firm owners listening to this that immediately are like, I need Amy. There's no doubt about it. I'm listening to this. I know I need this, whatever. There are other law firm owners that are like, I really hate what's going on. I have this problem. I am stuck on blah, 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 but I don't know what the right solution is. So for that group of people, what are the common problems that you're seeing or hearing from your clients that lets them know like you're the right fit to help solve for them?
1: So one thing that, um, often happens that leads to somebody reaching out to us is maybe they have something on the calendar they they promised their team they were going to do a retreat or they promised they were going to start doing quarterly something or other and so this is bearing down on them and they don't really know where to do and what to do where to start and they're thinking why would i go to a ropes course or why would we do another happy hour that hasn't fixed whatever the thing is and i think we could be better if we were more thoughtful about it that's a good time to reach out
0: wait amy you mean that one two hour happy hour isn't going to solve 10 years of bad office culture
1: surprise yes it actually is not um, so that's one time that people reach out another time is when um, people have um, are having issues with recruiting and realizing they're having a couple people leave and thinking hmm maybe we should be looking at this um, so that's uh that's that's an important time also when you have um new leaders who are taking over and want a fresh start or maybe you just want a fresh start you're thinking Okay. I want 2022 twenty two's been fine, but I want twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three to be better. And I'm I realize that to get the results I want next year, I better get started now.
0: You next you just gave me a little bit of a of a heart palpitation. We are only four months away from twenty twenty three. This is yeah it's 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 a coming. Interesting. All right, okay. so okay. For for that law firm owner who has not yet brought on a coach such as yourself to help through this, like what are some of the small things they can be doing now to help build a better rapport, to help be in a better position, to bring in professional help? Like what are some of the you know low hanging dumpster fires that they can put out themselves?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so one one resource that we offer that um, can be really helpful is for law firm leaders to um, request an invitation to one of our executive forums. And what we do is we get together other executives. And so you might be um, attending alongside a law firm owner from Chicago and a uh, managing partner at a big firm in LA, as well as somebody who's the head of marketing at a Fortune 500 company, right? But all the issues are the same. And so you get that that cross-pollination of ideas and those are completely free. You come, you get ideas, you get commiseration um, and that can be really helpful. So that's one tool. Another um, tool that I think is really important is to actually look at what's going on in your firm. I think what happens is, as a leader, it's so easy to just put blinders on and think, you know what, billables are fine, everything's fine, right? And to pull back and think, one, what is the situation actually? And the best way to do that is to talk to your people. We'll often start off with a pulse survey um, and some one-on-one conversations to see how things are going. And then um, once you've actually sort of assessed the situation, another thing that's really important is to sit and talk with your team about, what could the firm look like what what should those goals look like and one of the things we see all the time is particularly with younger generations whether they're support staff or lawyers they need to feel connected to the mission the values and the goals
0: they just say have to. younger generation are you talking about like the owner the owner being a younger generation you're talking about the employees being younger generation
1: the the employees um the employees gotcha. and the lawyers because um, okay. it, it's so important. It, it can't be, it, you know, often we'll ask people, what do you think the mission of the firm is? And they'll say it's to, to make XYZ person rich, like not motivating. Right. And one of the things that we see is if people feel connected to the goals, mission and values, then they're going to be less likely to bolt over a little bit more money coming from down the street. Now, if somebody's offering them you know, a lot more money, but if you are just trying to keep people from looking and keep people engaged and keep people really feeling connected to the firm that's a really important way to do it
0: so that's it's so interesting and here i guess my question along those lines is look you've been, you've been doing this longer than i have especially from the i mean i guess i don't do what you do but like from the general attorney zeitgeist type type situation is that something that you've seen be more popular recently? Or like at what point did younger employees care about the mission, vision of the company?
1: I think that um, younger employees are, uh, have always cared, but I think that um, Generation Z and Millennials are much more willing to say it out loud. I gotcha. mean, the number,
0: lawyers,
1: okay. the, the number of lawyers and support staff and people in other roles that we talk to who say, I'm leaving because they won't give me feedback. Well, I think people in my generation, we knew we needed feedback to improve, but gosh, it was kind of nice to be in the dark. And I think that millennials and Generation Z, I think they have a better understanding of what they need and they're more willing to say it out loud. And I think they've also seen that you can't just believe everything's fine because they've seen their parents get laid off, they've seen recessions Mm. um, and they have a better understanding of all that. And I think it's important to to realize that it makes it better for everybody. Even if you don't have a bunch of 25 year old employees who are saying, I wanna know why I'm doing this. It it just, it makes everybody feel like um, there's something, uh, that they're doing something that matters and who doesn't want to believe they're doing something that matters. And that's not to say that your firm can't be, one of the goals be to hit a certain dollar amount. That's not it at all. But if people can really tie into, I'm filling out a form but the reason I'm filling out a form is because somebody came up with an idea that's really important, and we're gonna protect that idea, right? There's a very, it's very different if, if you just think about it as filling out a form versus I'm protecting somebody's brilliant idea.
0: Right? And, and look, I think we have, fi- like for so long, all of this business coaching was that 1980s boiler room, always be closing mentality. And like, I think we finally gotten back to right. teaching people to be human. Um, But I will tell you, for those of you listening to this that are like, oh, you know, forget the the millennial snowflakes, I promise you, you will make so much more money if your employees (laughs) understand the purpose. Like, if you really take the investment into this, you will see the financial benefit exponentially, Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact of thinking that they're, you know, Namby Pamby, uh, whatever, whatever, the participation trophy earners, whatever. Like, I promise you. There is a great work ethic and a great connection to be had there when they feel that right connection to the purpose of the company.
1: Absolutely. And the reality is, is you can't your firm cannot continue if you don't ever hire anybody who's below age, Right. That's, and one of the true. things that we have seen is if you can get everybody to feel really connected to what the firm is working on, people are much more willing. To um, start using their connection to bring in business, than if they just think that the job is to come in and just execute, execute, execute. It's really about the next best version of the team, versus thinking about how are we going to address this crisis, how are we going to prevent that crisis. It's really all about how do we get this firm to this firm or this team to be the next best version of ourselves.
0: And so, in terms of in terms of getting these. I want to say younger employees but at that point at this point that's not even like millennials are 40 right um so it's not even that situation but like in terms of the next generation of mid-level leadership higher level leadership like is that the first step like making sure they are truly invested in that underlying purpose of the business more than just to make money
1: i think it's i think it's twofold so one is definitely helping making sure that everyone feels really connected to the firm and what, what the point is and what you're all working toward. Um, And then the second is making sure that everybody understands that you as a law firm owner are also invested in them. And we see this all the time where people say, well, I'm leaving because they won't give me any feedback, which they then interpret as they're not invested in me, or I'm leaving because I asked for some money for coaching and they said, you should pay for it out of pocket. It's not about the XYZ thousands of dollars. It's really about the not being willing to entertain investing in them, right? And so it has to be that you you are helping everybody get invested in the firm, but you're also showing
0: your investment and care for them. And so in terms of, I guess presenting that, like in terms of getting that vision ingrained in everybody, what are some of the best practices?
1: Well, what we like to do is rather than ever having it be top down or, you know, somebody goes up on a mountaintop and comes back down with the mission goals and values, that sort of thing, is we like to work with teams off the bat to establish those. And then we work with them on the issues that are holding them back from the ideal firm that they've set out for themselves. So often it's things like trust. Often it's things like communication. What happens is I'm from Iowa, so we call it Minnesota Nice, but um, this sense of, well, I'm gonna to be too nice to tell that person their fly is down. Well, the reality is is if nobody tells them their fly is down, they can't zip it, right? Uh, if nobody, you can't see the spinach in your own teeth. And so um, we often, it ends up being that sort of um, communication issue, not so much the you know throwing binders and yelling at people, but the lack of direct communication. Um, we'll often work on things like emotional intelligence, um, you know, all these issues that will often get called, somebody will call us and say, um, you know, people on my team don't talk to each other. We need a session on communication. Well, and, and we can come in and do that, right? But no transformation happens in a lunch and learn. You have to pull back and think about that's how it's showing itself. What's the underlying issue, and then we help you work on those underlying issues. so you
0: know, it's it's interesting. You like it's interesting you talk about it that way because obviously, like from the legal perspective, right? Like the the malfeasance is obvious. Like if you are coming in and screaming at everybody, if you're throwing stuff at people, like that. I am glad that people are aware that that would not create the culture they necessarily want. But then the flip side is that misfeasance type stuff like that becomes the, like, they think they're doing that person a favor, but ultimately they're doing a disservice to themselves, to that person, to the rest of the organization, to the other employees, and ultimately to the clients uh, by not giving the, uh, Gary Vee calls it kind candor, uh, you know, by not giving the right yes. feedback along those lines.
1: Absolutely. And I think um, this is something that that happens in a lot of environments, but I think it's particularly common among law firms because um, nobody uh, that I can think of, at least, went into law school thinking, I am a great manager and therefore I should go to law school, right? It tends to be people realize, oh, I could have my own firm or I'm doing well in the firm. I could become the managing partner. Um, And it's not as though anybody sets off to be a bad manager or sets off to not have a great team. It just sort of happens while you're busy running to court.
0: Right. All right. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is liberating that it's a problem of lack of knowledge, lack of time, as opposed to a problem of lack of care about, you know, being a good leader, running a good team, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, all right, so they've they've come together to come up with the core values, the tenets of that vision, whatever. They've started implementing some ideas to put those in place. Is there a next step or the other option is what does it start looking like when these things are being ingrained? I don't know which makes the most sense and the next thing for us to chat about.
1: I think the next step is then to look at what's holding you back from that and to identify those issues so you can begin to pick them off. Um, we often do with teams what we call skunk on the table sessions, um, where we get people talking about the things that no one will talk about. Because what we find is you can say, you know, the law firm leader can say, all right, what's holding us back from this? And people will say, oh, we need more staff or, oh, we need more money. We should fire bad clients like the low hanging fruit. Great. And th- that's not untrue. But right. you also have to be willing to look at the um, you know, the underlying issue, which is sometimes things like you favor this person or You know, you won't um, respect boundaries. Those sorts of things that people don't want to say out loud.
0: I can imagine, in talking with a bunch of lawyers, one of the other common ones is we need more trust, but we don't want to share our revenue numbers with the staff. Like, is that that's got to be a common one, right? Yes. All right, you're laughing. So
1: common. All
0: Mm -hmm. right. Um. What? What's the like? How do you work with somebody to overcome that? Like, I and and to be fair. I know that there are certain people that we will never convince to be more two-way honest with their employees, but for the ones that are like truly struggling with it, but we can convince them to make the right change. How do you help them through that process?
1: I think it's about meeting people where they are and understanding what the concerns are. And the reality is, is that if you trust your staff to see you know, XYZ's re- divorce papers, and you expect your clients to trust your staff to see their divorce papers, then I think you have to be th- thinking about why you don't trust your staff with your most personal information.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like, look, at the end of the day, I, I'm i gonna give the opportunity for there to be a third reason, but ultimately, like, one thing is you don't want them to see how much money you're making at their expense. The other one is you don't want them to see how little money the firm's making and then have them be worried about leaving. Um, I'm sure there's other reasons, but like, ultimately it's it's a fear-based analysis somewhere
1: well and I think too if you don't have if you haven't done any of the other work with the, the, the team if you just walk in one day and say oh here are our numbers I mean that's I mean, that's great and all but you can end up with one of those situations I think you have to have that foundation of trust you have to have that foundation of common goals you have to have that foundation of um, being candid with each other before you do that and I do think that, you know, often I feel like a part of our job as lawyers is always to help the client reach the goal that they want to reach, even if the method they had in mind is not possible. And so sometimes it is a matter of thinking through. OK, well, this law firm leaders where they are right now, how can we still build the trust? How can we still help people feel invested? Um, and, and I think especially for um leaders who might be more resistant to the idea of bringing in somebody to work with the whole team, then once they start to see the other benefits, then they might feel more comfortable um, doing it. So I don't think it's a, I understand the concern. But um, I do, I do think that a lot of good can come from being candid. And, you know, the the reality is, is that the people on your team are really your number one client. If you don't take care of your team, they're not going to take care of your clients. And part of how you take care of your team is allowing them to know what's really going on.
0: So like in terms of employees wanting that feedback or wanting that coaching or training or whatever it is, like, is this as simple as just asking them or is there best practice or is there something more to it?
1: You um, mean in, in terms of asking them if they want more feedback or asking them right, what they so want? Right. Or...
0: So you were talking about some of the issues being they're not getting feedback or the, mm-hmm. the office isn't covering training for them to grow and develop like it. Does that, all that boil down to just having the conversation about asking your employees what they want or what they're you know, stuck on or what the issues are?
1: I think it's a good first step. I, another thing that I think works well is to do an anonymous survey.
0: Oh, um, okay.
1: I think uh, another thing is to have somebody who's impartial come in and ask the question. I mean, it is incredible the differing risk, and this happens all the time, where we will go in and have a stakeholder interview and we will ask, questions that have been asked on a survey and we will get more honesty and more depth in the Uh, answers because there's a sense that oh they're taking this seriously they brought in a consultant or there's a sense that oh well she's not going to tell my secret we we actually did some stakeholder interviews um, at a company where with a team where they had done a survey and the survey results were not great but through the stakeholder interviews we found out that two people on the team hadn't spoken in 10 years actually over 10 years and The new leader who had brought us in was aware that there was some prickliness, but didn't know like they didn't speak, and so that's one of those things where you find it out um, just because you have somebody who's you know a stranger essentially and and willing they're willing to open up in a way that they wouldn't to their boss.
0: Do you find and I don't know maybe this isn't statistically significant or whatever, but do you find that smaller firms it's harder to get that honesty because it's easier to tie it back to who said it versus at larger firms it's easier to remain anonymous with some of the feedback? Or is that not the case?
1: Hmm, you know, I think actually, with smaller firms, people tend to, and and can feel more invested.
0: I think in bigger firms, there can
1: be an attitude of like, you know, this kind of sucks. But realistically, I can go down the street anyway. So why bother? Right. Um, And I think some of it is, if people don't care, they're not going to give you that that honest feedback. And I think that sometimes at a smaller firm, it can actually be easier to foster that environment where people give that feedback. But I do think there's there can be a sense of and we see this all the time where people won't put stuff down in the survey, but they'll tell you in the um, the conversation.
0: Gotcha. Alright, so then I want to change gears a little bit like in terms of getting employees to become more leaders into in terms of building that next generation of leader where does that come in? Or where does that start? Um,
1: so I think that um, one of the one of the places to start is really as soon as somebody joins the firm, you should start viewing them as a leader. A lot of times we see is, you know, they'll have like a fifth year Associate Leadership Academy. And well, that's great. But in the meantime, they've ticked off their co workers and clients for the last four years, right? Um, and, or they've just felt like nobody cared about them, like a fish out of water, and they've been sitting on Indeed all day, not getting their uh-huh. billables done, right? Um, and so I think it really starts when people join the firm. And I think one of the good, one of the best places to start is with an assessment with, about the things that you want to focus on and, and understanding where they want to come from. So that might be you know, we use an emotional intelligence assessment a lot because those are the skills that aren't going to show up in other ways until it's um, you know real damage has been done. Once you have a sense, though, of what they want to work on, because if you just tell somebody, you need to work on your communication skills, and they actually really feel like they're insecure about this other thing, they're not going to get as far, then really creating a professional and personal development plan can be really helpful. And none of this has to be some extravagant thing. I mean, this can be one piece of paper that says, over the next year, you're going to attend a bar association workshop on this, or you're going to go to the NIDA training on that. Um, or you're gonna have you know, four one-hour sessions, one a quarter with a coach to check in and make sure you're being accountable so that the managing partner isn't the one having to deal with this, right? Um, so it, it, ha- making people feel like their individual needs are being met and that they're a participant rather than being told on, from on high what they need to work on makes a huge difference.
0: From the standpoint of the emotional intelligence evaluation, are there like hard and fast results that make the best leaders or does that just give you a tool to look at what the company needs in their leadership
1: it's really about the tool to to help people see where they are and what they want to focus on Um, for example we worked with a team where one of the issues was really these um, whenever there was a filing due or a big issue there was it was just chaos right and um, what we discovered was that some people were really high in stress tolerance and others were really low in stress tolerance. And that gap was causing the problems. And so just understanding, oh, okay. So, so to some of these folks, the fact there's a deadline on the calendar and nothing's done two days ahead is going to be much more stressful than it is for other folks. And just recognizing that. Um, and it's also a matter of helping people see objectively, it's very different when someone says to you, you know, you seem to not have much self-awareness. Versus, you know, a computer comes back and says, it looks like your answers indicate you could improve on self-awareness. It's a very different message and sets a very different tone.
0: I I can imagine the first one being like, I don't have self-awareness. Have you seen yourself? As opposed to obviously the computer being, well, I guess, other than watching Terminator, you don't want the computer to be self-aware, right? Right, right. So... All right, we're getting towards the end here. I want to make sure, is there anything else that we need to cover? Are there any other best takeaways um, for some of our firm owners on how to get this process going or how to make it better?
1: I think the, the key thing to think about is individual leadership development is important. And um, hopefully we all recognize that. But individual leadership development will be much more successful if you also work on team development, because the firm is really made up of individual teams and is a team itself. Um, you can't ignore the team for the sake of leadership.
0: Is there, is that a balancing act or are those, or is that like the, or those things that go hand in hand?
1: I think they really go hand in hand. If you Uh, if you're asking someone to lead a team, and the team has already built trust is already open to being led and ready to be led and excited about what the the point is of the team, it's going to be a much easier experience for the leader than if they are inheriting people who, you know, they're just ticked off about everything don't feel heard don't feel like there's any candor or that they can raise the issues that they're concerned about. Um, You're giving the leader a much harder job.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so that I misunderstood that makes a lot more sense. So from, so then my question really was, is there a situation where firms get to the case where there's like too many cooks in the kitchen? Like you can build up too much leadership among people to hurt the team or is that not something you see as much?
1: Well, I think if it's, the focus is on, um, if everybody feels like the team has a clear mission and is committed to moving the team forward, I don't think that's much of an issue. Um, I think the the problem just becomes if you have people who aren't willing to do the grunt work. But realistically, if everybody Believes that there's what they're doing is worth doing. I think that you have a lot fewer problems with that.
0: So in theory, you could have a team where everybody leads on something as long as everybody's committed to that larger goal, vision, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and cool. I mean, realistically, one way to be a good leader is you know have you have you seen that video on YouTube? The it's about um, how the first follower is more important than the actual leader, and it's the, the dancing guy video, and he's dancing in a follower. field. Um, And so he starts off dancing by himself, but it's only when somebody follows him that it becomes a movement, right? Otherwise, before that, it's just one weirdo.
0: Gotcha, okay. And so
1: part of leadership and part of the way we approach leadership is that because you have improved your communication skills, say, or you're better able to to run a meeting or to address concerns, that doesn't mean you're going to run every meeting, right? Um, It means that you are willing to pitch in when called on. And there's lots of different ways to be a leader. um, And some of them you know, include being at the front of the, the pack. And others. other times it means making sure that um, the things are done and being really that first follower. And when you work with the team, I think people are more willing to do that. There's less competition about who's going to get their name on this and who's going to be, you know, recognized as the leader if everybody feels comfortable in their place.
0: I love that. All right, so I want to talk about our next episode and then everybody will come back to Amy for the biggest nugget of wisdom, the final takeaway. So don't uh, bail on us yet. That being said, next week, so eight eight at two fifteen Eastern Time, we're going to have fellow uh, Red Sox tortured fan, as me, Bill Farias, with us. Bill's going to talk about where's the beef, setting client expectations. So if you recall the uh, the old Wendy's commercial, which is probably before most of our times, the old lady looking at it, where's the beef? Opening up the hamburger, there's no, you know, there's very little meat in there. And so Bill did this really great presentation on uh, Max Law and touched on setting good client expectations, starting at the consultation. So I wanted to go a little bit deeper with Bill on some of the things he talked about. So for any of you struggling with the maintaining those client expectations, setting the right expectations, you know, under promising the right way to over deliver, this is going to be the chat for you next week, eight, eight 2 15 Eastern time with Bill Farias. But that being said, Amy, you have shared so much with us already, but I want more. And so do our listeners and watchers of this. So for anybody who's been with us for the last, I don't know, 50 something minutes or so, if they remember nothing that you said, what would be your most important takeaway, your biggest nugget of wisdom on how more lawyers can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney?
1: Leadership development's really important, but leadership development efforts will be more successful and your firm will be more successful if you also develop your team.
0: I love it. And it's just, and it's, and again, this isn't that one happy hour every five years. Like this is really, I mean, what it's making it a core kind of of that passion, right? Like it's making it part of that internal brand, that business culture, that office culture type fit.
1: Absolutely. And we see again and again, that it's not just the money you save not having to replace people. We see again and again, that the, the KPIs end up better, right? It, it, if, but if you are only focused on the numbers and not paying attention to the people, you're not going to get the numbers you want. And I should just um, say, if anybody who's watching this or listening to this wants to talk to somebody, we talk to law firm owners all the time just to get a download from them. What's happening in your firm? You know, Here are some resources you might consider. We're always always happy to do that and um, if people have a burning need where they want to talk through it right away, they can send me an email or reach out. And if they're interested in just the the bigger picture culture issues but not really ready to do anything about it now, they should sign up for one of our um, executive forums where they can talk with other leaders from various industries and hear best practices and ideas. And the way to do that is you just go to aposignup.com forward slash forum. to to request an invitation to one of those forums. And they're totally complimentary and can be a good way to to do some networking as well as get some ideas for things that you can do within your firm.
0: Perfect. That was gonna be my next question was, because obviously for everybody who's watching this, we dropped the links um, in the comments, but for everybody who's listening to this as a podcast or catches a clip later, we wanna make sure we have that. All right, so that being said, Amy, thank you so much for being with us to everybody who has listened to this and watched it. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And we hope to see you back next week 88 at 215 with Bill Farias, where we talk about where's the beef, how to set the right client expectations. Until then, have a great week, everybody.